You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Yeah, these Japanese macaques or snow monkeys, they live further north than any other non-human primate. What can they teach us? Animals are so much more advanced than the general public gives them credit for. Period. End of story. Right. I think they're just... And... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. So we're keeping the winter theme going, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's cold so, outside. We have to. I know. I know. Well, it's, well, okay. So for our listeners down in Australia, it's pretty warm. This <laughs> is true. In New Zealand and Africa. So we'll, South do, America. A, we'll do a desert species next week. Yeah, just, just to, for them. Just for them. Just for them. Just for them. Just for them. I know. We always forget. But yeah, we're, we're, you know, for here in, in the nor- north of the equator, it is winter. And so Angie and I are kind of keeping a, a winter theme this week. So snow monkeys or Japanese macaques. Yes, I've been wanting to do this species for a long time. You have, you have, you absolutely have. You, it, I've been holding you off for a little bit. <laughs> yes, and we were going to record last night, but we decided to give ourselves an extra day to do research, which of course for me was wonderful. I mm-hmm. spent a lot of time last night watching videos and reading articles, but I think this is the most slides I have had prepared in a long time. <laughs> Okay. So it could be a bad thing. I don't want it to be too long, but their behavior is just, it's just incredible. And I'm sure most people are familiar with their hot tub bathing behavior. Mm-hmm. And I had heard of that and I've seen them at the Lincoln Park Zoo who recently acquired a troop of them. But I wanted to dive deeper into how did that happen? And is that natural? And where does this occur? So if you'll stick with us, you'll get to learn a lot about that today and just mm-hmm. super intelligent, awesome social uh, species to, they have really unique uh, social systems. And so, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be a lot of fun today. Yeah. Yeah. I think the behavior is, is definitely going to be the one you want, you want to really let, pay attention to this podcast because yeah, they do well, amazing stuff. Yeah, and these Japanese macaques or snow monkeys, they live further north than any other non-human primate. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. like incredible. No yep. wonder they want yep. to get in a hot tub bath, right? I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. The picture I have of them in it is just, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. So very interesting species. You know, we're going to learn about some of the wildlife of Japan. So a new area It's our first for time us. to Japan, right? Yep. Yep. First species. I think we have mm-hmm. like six listeners from Japan. Maybe yeah, 10 it's after better. this. Yeah, no, it's this, getting better. It's getting better. Podcast. It's, They'll share it with their friends. Yeah. So. No, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the, the stuff I learned this week about that. And also this week we have an amazing interview. So we were able to speak to Jungle Jordan or also known as Jordan Beasley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wildlife educator, conservationist. He, um, it was such a fun interview. It was so fun talking to him. So well, he's so he, passionate and it's just contagious. Yeah. So it's definitely an interview not to miss. That's for sure. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it's a great interview. And, you know, he's got a YouTube channel on social media. He's, he's just so much fun, so much fun uh, to watch and, and learn from. So, so look for that. That would be out, uh, on Thursday. And then he's also Disney nuts. So I thought that was kind of funny. So towards the end of the podcast, we kind of talk about some of the personal stuff and the species that he is scared to death of. This guy is like not scared of snakes or anything else, but there's one, one species. I'll leave it for that. It's pretty funny. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's a fun one. Now, Angie, stay tuned towards the end because I actually, this surprised me. So these are known as Japanese macaques, but they are living in the wild outside Japan. So I don't think you know where, and it would surprise you. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and, and, and save it. But there's a place they live and they're thriving and they're doing like a population well. thriving that's been either imported yes. or exported or how you look at it. Yes. Not a natural mm. place for them. A little bit okay. far from Japan. But we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. They're they're just so fun. So fun. And they're so darling. Yeah, they are. They are. And the reason they're so darling is because of their fur and their faces. They are obviously very adapted for cold weather. And they literally look like me or my kids or anybody who bundles up in the wintertime that has a big poofy coat they on. They do look like you. They do look like you. Face is a little red, but they do look like yeah. you. I'm looking at it. It's yeah. just a big, thick fur that extends, of course, over their whole body into their forehead. And basically just there, it's like if you bundled up and only your, you know, your, a little bit of your forehead, eyes and cheeks mm-hmm. and chin mm-hmm. are exposed to the elements. And, you know, mouth, of course. And this winterized fur can be shades of anywhere from brown to gray to yellowish brown and then cream almost. And the face that does show, there is no fur on it. So it's like bald Mm -hmm. and it's pink in color. And so it's just this big fluff ball basically with a, I don't want to say bright pink, Unless, unless it's breeding season, uh, they do have some mm-hmm, coloration mm-hmm. changes that we'll talk about during breeding season in their face and then, of course, on their hind end. But just super dramatic as far as tons of fluffy fur all over and then this clean, beautiful pink face. And with blue eyes, that's what it gets me. It's the blue eyes between you and them. It's you both have blue eyes. They're gorgeous. And of course, as any primate species, they have a very expressive face, right? So not always, but especially if you're familiar with a little bit of primate behavior, you can, you can tell what they're thinking by watching their eyes. Like you mentioned, these really, Mm -hmm. really expressive Mm -hmm. eyes. And then of course, you know, they, they're not, they're not afraid to show their teeth if they need to, um, and make, you know, funny gestures with their lips. And so they're just super darling. And they do have a short stumpy tail, which of, mm-hmm. of course is, uh, you know, darling as well. So if you're not familiar with what they look like, we'll put some uh, pictures up on our show notes or you can obviously go to Google image because a picture will pull right up of them in a hot tub. So a natural spring, not, not, <laughs> your, not your backyard hot tub, but a natural spring hot tub no. in Japan. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Right. And they're not huge, you know, primates. No, I mean, not at all. But there's, they're yeah, medium. There's some sexual dimorphism. Yeah. Medium mm-hmm. sexual dimorphism. Mm-hmm. Right. So males can get up to 25 pounds, females, 18 pounds, or I guess for the males, that's a, um, over 11 kilograms. Mm-hmm. So males can be as long as, you know, almost 23 inches in length or 57 centimeters. 
you know, so not super, super big and females are just a few inches shorter, but you know, not, not a, not a squirrel monkey size or not tiny. Oh, no, but, no, no. But I was also no, reading, no. I don't know if you caught this anywhere, but the Japanese macaques that live in the Southern areas of Japan usually weigh less than those in the Northern areas and mm-hmm. in the higher elevations right. where there's snow, which makes sense. Anybody who's lived in a Northern climate and <clears throat> me for a long time, you've got to bulk <laughs> up in the wintertime. It's just yes, yes. You, and you, and say, you yeah, can get, because you can hide it with sweaters and big puffy coats, so nobody even notices. Right. And all, well, of course, all, right. all of the holiday food. So there is that wonderful part about the winter time as well. Yeah, and you know it's a, a adaptation, and so their range, and, and I really kind of want to talk about this because Japan is just so amazing, such an interesting biome. Have you been, Chris? No, not yet. It's it's on my bucket yeah, list. I haven't been either. Maybe one of our, maybe one of our seven fans will invite us out there. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but we're gonna have more after this. Let podcast, me more. Right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's they speak Japanese, but yeah, I'm dying to go to Japan. I absolutely. Oh. One of the countries I've been dying to go to. Yes, yes. And, well, now too that I've learned more about how to see snow monkeys in the wild in Japan, that's mm-hmm. a very attractive place for me to go on my bucket list for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Now. Japan's made up of thousands of islands, but there's the main four. So Honshu, Kyushu, and Shikoku are the three southern more mm-hmm. islands that these Japanese macaques are found on. Now, Hakado is the northern one, and that's what they're not. Now, that's the one that's like super cold, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second, but they're not, they don't range there. They range on the southern three. This was fun. Like I just, I've never, I've always studied history, Angie, and you know, I, I love Japanese culture and history, but I've never really looked at the the fauna and flora. You know, I just never really looked at right, it. In Japan. Yeah. You know, and I knew there's forests and mountains, and you know, Mount Fuji's you know iconic, but I never really thought about it. So really, it, it they have three climactic zones. So that Hakado, that, that far north island is Siberia, subarctic. It's freezing cold. Okay. Right. It's just, it's just cold. Then the Honshu, Shikaku and Kyushu are more temperate. Mm-hmm. You know, the farther south you get, it gets a little subtropical, but then you go down to Okinawa and that's kind of more subtropical. Those, those southernmost islands. So they had very diverse. I mean, they have wetlands, mixed forests, alpine meadows. It's just, Amazing, beautiful, a varying different types of geography and, and biomes there. Japan population is about 125 million people. So definitely not a small country, you know, got quite a bit of people there. Now, what I really wanted to look at, because we've talked about some animals and I'm trying to think, was it rantans? I mean, they, some of the species we've covered and I go into their evolution mm-hmm. and we're like, oh yeah, Japan had that at one point. Right. You know, and I was like, how? You know, it's an island. Well, Obviously, Japan was part of the Eurasian continent, and then it got as the the tectonic plate shifted. It took about it was about fifteen million years ago, finally, when Japan kind of got isolated, you know. And then there was I think there was a little bit of connection there, but it, you know, ten to fifteen million years ago is when it really kind of separated out. And so those animals that we talked about that were there once, you know, went extinct. Others evolved. And I'll get a little bit into what we know about macaques and their evolution. 
So just to kind of, you know, quickly, cause you know, we could, we could do a whole podcast just on Japan, you know, and the different animals there, but it's just, you have all these different I- islands, there's self-contained ecosystems, different climates. It, it, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing that the diversity of wildlife there. I mean, they had a thing, they had wolves there, the Honshu wolf, which went extinct a hundred years ago. Thanks to man. Ugh. The Japanese river otter mm. was again, another species. Mm-hmm. When it went extinct in the seventies, stinks. But this one always surprised me. And I used to see things on this. They have brown bears on that Hokkaido Island, the far north one. I guess I didn't know. They that. have brown bears. Yeah. Uh huh. And they could be as big as Kodiak bears. Wow. So, yeah. 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 Now the islands south, they actually have Asian black bears. Mm-hmm. So red fox. I love this one. This one's so cute. The Iron Mate Wildcat. Oh, so it's on an island there. Yeah. It's a little cat. So much to cover there. We'll have uh-huh. to we'll have to do a poll or something on Instagram to see which Japanese species we should do next. Oh, okay. Well, somebody's going to say Japanese giant hornets. Have you seen those no. suckers? They're, they're, they're up half the size of your hand. They're enormous. Yikes. They are, yeah, that's what I have. Yikes. They're insane. <laughs> These are the ones that can go into a, a bee colony and just devastate it. Like well, they go in and just devastate Rightfully so with that size, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you say, what species, Angie? This one, oh my God. This one, I, I, I'm just, I can't get over. I, this is on our list now. The raccoon dog. Have you ever heard of a raccoon dog? I think. Think I have? <laughs> but I'm, hold on, I have to, let me let me look it up really quick. Oh my gosh! Yes, we have to do that. <laughs> this thing, it's darling. I was like, what? Have you really seen one of those before, though? Did you know what they were? I, I, had I feel no like in my clue. dreams, but not. I've never like seen seen one <laughs> in my like at a zoo that. or. Is it? I. This thing. I swear to you, I thought it was somebody made this up on the is internet. It, a it was species an, or it is, and I, you know, I haven't been able to do a lot of research. I just was blown away because it literally is like somebody mixed a raccoon with a dog. It, it, I swear to you, <laughs> it is the most insane thing ever. I, I'll have to put a picture on. Would on I bet? Instagram. Well, I bet it's really intelligent and sneaky and wow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I think just the brief. Research I did, they're, they're more closely related to foxes, but they are oh, canid mm-hmm. and we are going to cover them soon because they are too ridiculous. <laughs> See, it's a raccoon and a dog. Oh my God. So, you know, that's kind of Japan in a nutshell. And obviously we'll be back uh, to, to that part of the world, but very unique biome, very unique animals there. Wonderful culture. So I'm excited to, to get back to the Japanese macaques, the, the snow monkeys. They, they are definitely part of the culture there. And, you know, looking at their importance from, you know, not a primate, but obviously they play a role in maintaining ecosystems and the health of the environment, right? Oh, of course. I mean, they eat a variety of plants and insects and we'll get more into their diets, but they eat fruit and seeds and therefore they're a seed disperser. And one study even showed about 36% of seeds on average were recovered in from the poo of Japanese macaques after being fed it under human care. So mm-hmm. 
that's for one, that's for one animal. So right. that's a pretty big portion, uh, passing through their gastrointestinal tract and then being dispersed and a very mobile species. They're on the ground and in trees and all over the place. So they get around and that's how some of these seeds get around to germinate. And then they also and just you, really, oh, go ahead. We've talked about this quite a bit, right? In the last couple of months, you know, seed dispersal. So just, it's just a, not to interrupt you, but just to, you know, underline why that's important, you know, for the plants. And, you know, I know, you know, the one on the land that goes the farthest is surprisingly African elephants. There are ele- even Asian elephants, I'm sure do this too, even though they're kind of more foresty. And so they probably don't range as far, but I know African elephants, when they, they eat acacia seeds, walk 60 kilometers and poop, you know, they're di- dispersing those plants far and wide. Right. But even just looking at these snow monkeys, their ranges aren't quite as big, but again, they're dispersing these seeds in feces that full of nitrogen and nutrients for the plant so then that seed can germinate and grow a new plant and, and propagate and provide food for a bunch of other animals too. Right. Oh, so I- when we take, yeah. So what happens when we remove them from the environment, right? We take oh. that away. Oh, absolutely. And another study showed that in, uh, in the wild, they consume over 213 species of plants. Mm-hmm. So, so I that's mean, huge. That's huge. It's not yeah, just, it's not start- just the fruits and things like that. So yeah, it's just, uh, really, really critical and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. important, not just for one or two species, but many, many species of plants. But from an ecosystem point of view, not only, not only are they impacting seeds as a seed disperser, but interestingly enough, they also, they also have this symbiotic relationship with Sika deer. So another cool okay. stock species that we need to cover from Japan on the mm-hmm. island of Kinkanza, probably saying that wrong. I apologize to our, mm-hmm. our Japanese fans there. Uh, <laughs> but when the snow monkeys climb to the tops of the trees to forage for the most energy sufficient foods to consume that day, they inadvertently knock down a whole bunch of leaves because anybody who's ever watched primates, monkeys, they're busy, right? So they knock down all these extra leaves down to the forest floor, which then feed the Sika deer. Mm-hmm. So See? a really cool relationship there. Um, right. For, and, and I'm the Sika deer are very thankful for them because they're able to get some of these really juicy and delicious leaves that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get. And looking at it from an economic point of view. And when it's not about the money, it's about the money. Japanese mm-hmm. macaques are, as Chris mentioned earlier in the pod, they're just adored by most people in Japan and they attract many tourists. So we'll, uh, towards the end of the podcast, I'll go through some of the numbers, um, from the parks of visitors, both from Japan, but then also internationally, a lot, they attract a lot of international attention. So, they bring in tourist revenue and that's obviously a really important reason to conserve their habitat, to conserve them. And, and if snow monkeys are the drivers for bringing in tourists to some of the parks, that still helps conserve all the species, other species in that habitat. 
right? Uh, some of the other ones, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. raccoon dog or the seek a deer or whatever, know. You know, whatever <laughs> else lives dog. by them. And so that's really key when you have this iconic species. Uh, you, it's just really critical that you, you keep an eye on them and you make sure that their numbers stay high and they have plenty of room to roam, which yay, this is a positive story because mm-hmm. the Japanese macaque currently is rated as least concern by the IUCN. So they are not endangered or threatened. Uh, I found population estimates around a hundred thousand. I don't know what you found, Chris. Some of that, it was, it was dated. It's older. It was like from yeah. 2007. So man, that was, that's about what they are, but they are, we got to keep our eyes on it. We'll talk about it in conservation because they are killed quite a bit. Right. You know, so a lot of, a lot of yeah. although they're a, a, a big important symbol um, for Japan, they can mm-hmm. be considered a nuisance and yes. a crop pest yeah. and things like that. So, um, yeah, there definitely can be some human conflict with these, with the snow monkeys sure. as well. For sure. Yeah. I think that's their biggest, biggest issue right now is, is that, and we'll talk more about that towards the end, you know, a little bit on conservation and, and some conservation tips. Now evolution, again, we're back to primates. It, it's, you know, we just covered this with red rough lemurs a few weeks ago. Now those are prosimians. These are simians. So the monkeys, apes and humans. Again, primates, you know, what makes us different is just look at ourselves. You know, we have forward looking eyes so we can see in 3D eye sockets that protect our eyes, opposable thumbs, fingerprints, large brains, stuff like that. Fingernails. That's what makes us primates. Now I know we said this was interesting, Angie, when I was looking up evolution for this because i'm trying to think you know how did the macaques get to japan it was it before that 15 million years ago when it kind of got isolated or did they come over on raft vegetation like we've seen with other species but we always thought primates evolved from africa right that's the primary place i didn't know that again like us scientists we like to debate with each other that there's a group that says, a group of scientists that says, no, they came out of Asia. <laughs> and I was like, what? This is the first time I ran into this. Well, I was like, what? Yeah, I, I have not heard. Please enlighten me. Uh, my, I will be the first to admit that my primatology expertise is yeah. lacking. So let her rip. Let's, well, we, let's hear about this. Okay. We know Homo sapiens came out of Africa. That we know. We've done it through genetic studies. We trace back our micro, or mitochondrial DNA back to Africa. We know that for sure. But some scientists have un- under some fossils in Asia, you know, near kind of near between India and Vietnam, kind of that area mm-hmm. that actually primates evolved more there and then came back to Africa and then spread, spread out into the new world monkeys, you know, obviously into North and South America. So it, I thought it was very interesting because it kind of made me think, kind of makes sense. I mean, primates, we can migrate. We do. You know, not only humans, but other primates do. We're adaptable, which we're going to learn about the macaques, these snow monkeys, how they, they live in the north and the south, no problem. In Japan, two different, totally different biomes. We, You're talking millions of years. So it would make sense that primates spread out sure and kept following where there was food sure. and, and new resources and so it, it's a pause plausible 
I think it's definitely plausible that oh, they could have. Interesting. I just love science. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. So, you know, there, there wasn't a ton on how the macaques got there. So I was a little disappointed, you know, whether it was a raft vegetation or they, they got isolated there. So scientists really haven't specifically this species hasn't really nailed down yet their evolution. Now, just macaques in general, old world monkey. So again, they have, they don't have those prehensile tails. 23 species of macaque, oh. you know, Africa, Asia, mm-hmm. and then Gibraltar, which I thought was cool. So that's southern tip of Spain. That is very cool. Now, were they there? Did they get moved by humans? I think that there's a debate there too. You know, was it a couple thousand years ago? They, because they, there is the, the Barbary macaques that are in North Africa, Morocco, uh, Algeria. So it would make sense that humans might have, you know, when they're on their boats, grabbed a bunch and d- dumped them into Spain. So that's maybe one way they got there. Now, of the 23 species, the rhesus macaques and Formosa rock macaque are the most closely rated to related, most closely related to the Japanese macaque. Now, there's two species, two subspecies of Japanese macaque. So I'm going to attempt this. Macaca fuscata fuscata. Amazing. So yes, one. definitely. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was good. So that's the mainland species. Okay. Then Macaca fuscata yaku, which is restricted to the island of Yukushima at the southern limit of the distribution. So again, like you said in the beginning, the ones in the north are heavier, different plumage, things like that. Peelage. Uh, body size fur. versus these <laughs> fur. Yeah. Other words for, for fur. So that's kind of a, you know, evolution in a nutshell. And, you know, we keep telling the story of primates. Fascinating, fascinating. And so now, did they come know, across on the raft or we just still don't know? I, they don't know. And I was very disappointed. Mm-hmm. I looked, I looked at Google Scholar. I, everything on evolution was how they evolved with the behaviors and things like that. I couldn't find anything on their natural history. So I don't think we know. Okay. I, basically the, the, the feeling I got, I spent, you know, a good couple hours looking, uh, that they don't really know. If I had to take a guess, I, I, I would think they probably came over on like raft vegetation or something like that. Mm. They, they seem to, they don't seem that different from the other 23 species. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause 15 million years is a long time. You would have evolved into probably something different, I would think, or, or at least have some different adaptations. That's a guess. Okay. And now what about this other population not living in Japan? I've been very patient the last 15 minutes <laughs> waiting to learn <laughs> Do you about really? this. <laughs> I was going to wait till the very end, but. No, no. You don't. can't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there was a population. It was about in the early 70s, late 60s. I don't know exactly when, but I, I think I have 1972 and then I read somewhere else in the 60s that a troop of 150 Japanese macaques were re- relocated from Kyoto, Japan to a primate observatory in Texas in the United States. Of course it's Texas. It's always Texas. Let's <laughs> bring it to Texas. So there's this ranch in Texas that they just dumped these 150 macaques that are used to living in Japan. Yes. And... So yeah, they which did not, lose a bunch of the Which beginning. is not a similar climate to Texas. At all. At all. At all. So going back to how primates, the Asia theory, Africa theory, how primates adapt, 
So yeah, they lost some, but the, this troop definitely adapted to Texas. They learned to avoid predators like rattlesnakes, coyotes, you know, eagles. Just incredible. They totally learned different diet because they're omnivores. We'll get to that. So they, they forage on mesquite, beans, cactus, other foods. Incredible. So now this is like a made for TV movie. Yes. So now they're in the hundreds. Not necessarily a good one, but. No, no, they don't belong here. It's just like the Burmese python there in, in where you're at in Florida. So there is a, a pretty healthy population of macaques living in Texas. Are they, so I'm like stuttering over here. Are they fenced in or contained? Yeah. Or? So yes. So today in Dilly, Texas, it's the born free USA primate sanctuary. And it's the largest free roaming sanctuary for monkeys in the United States. And so there's more than 600 monkeys there. Many of them are the Japanese macaques. So 186 acre property. They have six different species of macaques. They have the snow monkeys, the stump tail macaques, bonnet macaques, crab eating macaques, pigtailed macaques, and hybrids. So <laughs> there is a population of these monkeys living in Texas. Doesn't seem like a good idea to me still, but, uh. <laughs> yes, yes. But I think what's interesting that the take home message from that is these animals, primates were adapted. We can adapt. They adapted yes. really well. Yes. And we're going to yeah. talk a lot about that when we get to uh, behavior and their mm-hmm. intelligence and how they learn in their own culture and subcultures that they have mm-hmm. in their troops, because it really is, they, it just goes to show that they figure out what works for them as a troop and mm-hmm. then they pass it down to each generation, which of course is a sign of culture. And, and so I am surprised that Texas would be chosen for this experiment, but I'm not surprised that this experiment didn't go completely awry because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they are so adaptable. But, but when you really think about having to forage for different foods and different predators, because there are, AZA accredited zoological institutions that house snow monkeys, for instance, Lincoln mm-hmm. Park Zoo, uh, mm-hmm. recently got a troop. But there, well, first of all, that's pretty far north and they experience, you know, uh, some of the coldest winters I've ever been in, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also have veterinarians and researchers and trained zookeepers and their habitat is mimics basically what it would look like if they lived in Japan. And of course, their diets are controlled and studied and regulated. And so they're getting all their nutrients. But just, yeah, to just have to go get all your nutrient requirements in some random place you've never lived before and figure it out is just incredible, right? I mean, mean, but that's like humans. Like that's what we've done. Yeah, I mean, we live all over now. And so... And Primates just, are very special. I mean, very special. And yeah. Angie, this isn't the only place where macaques have been released and are thriving. You know of a place just probably 10 minutes from your home or uh, it was 20 minutes. No, that's like 30 minutes. Sorry. That there is a troop of rhesus macaques that are just doing awesome in Florida. Oh, yeah. Silver Springs. I, so oh, they're not, no, they're not there. They're not there anymore. Well, they've migrated out because they're all over the place. You watch the news when there's like a couple in Tampa all of a sudden. That's they true. They just show up. Yeah. They show yeah. up. 
Aye, so aye, aye. in the 30s, they were released. They were going to create this Tarzan-like park at Silver Springs in Florida. Beautiful, beautiful place. Have uh, kayaked it multiple times. Tons of gators. I've they are there. Yeah, we went I on saw we went on the glass bottom boat rides mm-hmm. recently. But there's no animals. Well, there's no. some a few educational there's animals. The, but I didn't no. see any. Oh, cats. they're there. They're there in Silver Springs. I did. I did when we were like kayaking. Free ranging. Yes. Yes. They are free ranging macaques. There's about 300 in that part of Florida. I remember kayaking, and a Wild. bunch were down by the water. Hmm. And people were like stopping and throwing food because that's what they're, they're used to. So this guy dumped them on an island thinking they'd be stuck there. And they actually didn't know that they could swim pretty well. And they swam away right away and have bread. Yeah, macaques and, uh, swim great. Yeah. Yeah. The rhesus macaques. Interesting. So hmm. <laughs> good old humans. <laughs> <laughs> Just. All right. Let's, oh, let's, all right. Let's press on. What are these no, guys? But it's, people don't, people don't know. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet. So I, okay. We've done the biggest primate. I think it was that orangutan that was like 10 feet tall and huge. Uh, the smallest primate in the world today. I was going to ask you that to test your knowledge. It's a pygmy. Marmoset is what you were yeah. going to say. Okay. I figured because yes. you're a zookeeper. You're a mind reader. Yes, yes. Absolutely. That's the smallest monkey, but not the smallest primate. So if we go back to Madagascar, uh-huh. this thing I think, is, I don't is know. Is it a, a loris? No, it's the Madame Birth's mouse lemur. Oh, the mouse lemur. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. see, okay. Okay. You would know. Aww. I did not know this. I mean, I didn't know, know that, but I like kind of knew that. And that's yeah. just not a great scientific answer. <laughs> so it's, they're about, they, they sit in your hand. Is the, the average length's three and a half inches, nine centimeters. Oh, they weigh man, like 1.1 ounces. Yeah. They're, they're adorable. So that is the smallest primate in the world. But I knew you'd say pygmy marmoset because that was my initial, oh, pygmy marmoset. You know, you would think, but no. Now, okay, so we, we definitely want to hurry up to get to behavior because that's going to be a, a, a big part of this podcast today. Now, snow monkeys can live or Japanese macaques can live long, you know, up to 28 to 32 years, but that's not the average lifespan. That's the longest. Average lifespan in the wild is about six, six and a half years. Not very long. No, they have a hard life. Wild's tough. The wild is tough. They're cold cold and you got people and yeah, it's tough out there. Yeah. They have a pretty high infant mortality rate too. Yeah. Yeah. The the wild's a tough place. It's a tough place. Now they can survive. Like Angie said, you know, in the cold, low is five degrees Fahrenheit, you know, like almost near freezing temperatures. I mean, they're in the snow. You watch them play in the snow and then yeah, we'll talk about the hot springs here in a minute. Like we just said, they're great swimmers. They, these Japanese macaques can swim up to half a kilometer. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've seen it. Well, and Chris, I was also reading that they can live at elevations of up to over 9,000 feet above sea level. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's almost two miles. Yeah, that's really high. Yeah, really high. So they've, they're, again, adapted, like we're saying. I think that's the theme of this podcast is how adaptable they are. Now... Yeah. They are preyed upon several species, uh, feral dogs, always a problem, mountain hawk eagles, some of the things. And then these raccoon dogs, they can't eat the younger ones where they find them. So, and then obviously humans are their big threat now. Now you said nutrition, we've talked about it, omnivores, obviously with this adaptation, they're not picky eaters. They 
like Angie said in the beginning, 213 species of plants. They eat insects. They eat soil a little bit to get some minerals. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on the habitat, right? So in the south. Sure. Yeah. So in the south, what they eat, uh, fungus, ferns, insects, uh, other parts of plants, mainly fruits, leaves, some seeds. The north you talked about, they put on weight because during the, the lean winter months, the, all they eat was maybe some leaves or bark that they can get just to keep their stomachs full. And they'll probably drop some weight there. And then obviously in the spring, go back to eating fruits and nuts in summer to put that weight back on. But pretty adapted. But I think the behavior is the best. <laughs> it's the their behaviors. Oh, reading up on this stuff. They just, oh, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing. Well, and they're a fun species to cover too, because they have been pretty well studied. And so it's always nice when there's an abundance of material out there. Cause some of these species we cover, I'm always like, well, Chris, we don't know. We don't know this. Mm-hmm, we don't know mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. That is not the case today with the Japanese macaques, which is super exciting for me. You can find snow monkeys, both terrestrial on the ground and arboreal up in trees. And when they're on the ground, they're going to move on all fours. And just like us humans, they're diurnal. So they're mostly active during the day, I guess, unless you work the night shift, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also like humans, Japanese macaques are very social and they live in matrilineal societies, which basically just means the females will stay in their natal group for life, the group that they are born into, whereas the males will move out once they're mature. And in a group or a troop is often what we'll call a large group of primates. In a troop, you'll have adults of both sexes. Um, but there usually is only one alpha male, but the social bonds between the females of the group far exceed those of any of the males. And of course, besides the, the more dominant male, uh, the, the males in the group will probably be immature. And when the males are kicked out, sometimes they will form bachelor troops as they're looking for other female troops to join up with. And, but what's really cool is besides being matrilineal, they also have a dominance in their group among the females. And it's really important because individuals that are high ranking are going to have access to the food first. And so if you're not a high ranking snow monkey, you're going to actually eat a less nutritious diet. Right, right. And as far as ranking goes, this is super fascinating. You inherit your ranking from your mother. So whatever your mother is in the ranking order, that's what, where you're going to land. But even crazier, I've never seen this before. Once again, I'm definitely, you know, not a, not a primate expert. I would love to get some here on the podcast. We need to make that our goal in 2020 Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Chris, so the younger siblings dominate the older ones. And I know you and me <laughs> are both family. In the, I, <laughs> yeah. I was saying exactly. We were both not the oldest child and we both got nope. dominated big time. Yeah. Until I got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then my brothers figured out, Oh, we better be nice to them. But that yeah, took I just many years. Be like much faster than my sister to like outrun her. So, my <laughs> older sister. so yeah, it's really, really interesting. So rank among sisters 
because of course females are, you know, rank higher than males. Uh, rank among sisters decreases as age increases. Hmm. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's like reverse. Yeah. Yeah. So they have this really distinct class system and it's definitely, definitely not democratic by any no. stretch of the imagination. No. You're born into your ranking and it shifts around a little bit depending on obviously if you're male, you leave depending on how old a female you are and depending on what your mom was. And so, but that's not to say that it can't change. It will, rankings can change over time uh, depending on if new members enter the group or with births and deaths and things like that. So, uh, they're, they're, it's not completely inflexible, but it is your, a lot of your, a lot of your stories told just by your genetics, which mm-hmm, I think is mm-hmm. super fascinating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you think about the importance of higher ranking members getting better access to food and shelter and things like that, probably the better spot in the hot tub, right? That's mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's my older sister for sure. So just, just, they have so much to teach us. It's just super fascinating. Uh, and as far as other things they can teach us humans is they have many altruistic behaviors. And so altruism is just a fancy word for you scratch my back and I don't do anything for you. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> It's doing something for somebody else mm-hmm. and not getting anything in return. Okay. Okay. So you just do it. It's like paying it forward. When you pay for somebody Starbucks cup, you know, behind you, you don't get anything out of it. Um, although right. in humans, we do talk about giving uh, and donating and to charities and things like that. A lot of times it makes us humans feel good. We get some of those right. feel good chemicals, but it right. doesn't necessarily do anything for our physiology. So among the Japanese macaques, there's a lot of altruistic behaviors that are mostly observed between mothers and daughters. And a lot of it has to do with the mothers. Mothers are generally mm. altruistic. Story of my life. I do a lot mm-hmm, for these mm-hmm. kids. I'm yep. like, what have they done for me lately? <laughs> Just kidding. They're really cute. <laughs> uh, especially in their little holiday outfits, right? So right, they do right. a lot for me. But so, well, but with the snow monkeys, the mothers will provide protection, support, food sharing, alarm calls. They'll co-feed with them and just obviously a lot of care. And of course, probably the most famous altruistic behavior is some of this allo grooming. Right. So we talk about in horses, mutual grooming. That's the mm-hmm. I scratch your back, you scratch my back at the same time mm-hmm. type deal. With allo grooming, it's just one monkey grooming the other. And so do they take turns? Like do they? There, yes, there, yes, okay. there's definitely some turn taking, but it's not necessarily like you do me right now and then I'll, and do, I'll you do you in a later. second. Yeah. It's and in fact, like a it, lot yeah. of the grooming, interestingly enough, is f- among females to help maintain social relationships. Right. It's for hygiene purposes, right? Because they're picking out parasites. But a lot of it's more for social bonding and relationship building and also mm-hmm. to help reduce aggression among the group. And... So, and, and the, and they'll do this aloe grooming regardless of the season, regardless of the climate that they're in, regardless of what, you know, which subspecies they are. And it really helps with their relationships. And so what they'll do is an individual will solicit 
another one to groom them by presenting their neck, their face, their flank, or their rump. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I definitely have been known to stick my feet and on my husband's lap when we're watching football. Like, here you are. <laughs> groom my feet. <laughs> groom my rub feet. Rub your feet. Oh, get, I, rid of those, get rid of those parasites. No, <laughs> a good husband will rub his wife's feet. Yes. Absolutely. And I have probably yeah. the best husband ever. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he actually did operant conditioning on me, our positive reinforcement. I, <laughs> I grew up in a big sport, sports family and they, Sports were on all the time and I love basketball and baseball mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and would watch those and collect cards with my dad and go to, go to these events. But I just never really got into football and it, I don't know why. And, but my husband is a big NFL nerd yep, uh, since yep. he's from Boston. So he loves the yep. Patriots and they went all yep, the time yep. and yada, yada, yada. My poor lions. My lions teach me a lot about preservation and <laughs> patience. Right. But anyways, so, but yeah, so he started, he was like, if you watch football with me, this is of course before we had kids. Cause now I don't have time to do anything, but if you watch football with me, I will rub your feet. And so mm-hmm. I was sitting there watching football and then I'm like, well, I might as well learn about it. Right. If I'm, and so I would, he would teach me a lot about the game and all the different really intricate chess like moves and I learned that it wasn't just a whole bunch of dudes bashing each other as it looks when you just walk by the t- TV, as I had done mm-hmm. a few years prior. Mm-hmm. There's actually a ton of uh, plotting and planning and strategy. And I really got into it. And then I realized he trained me by rubbing my feet. And now I, and now every August I get very excited for football season. So mm-hmm. anyways, mm-hmm. he's smart. Any, he's smart. Yeah. I was going to say to any guys listening yeah. out there, yeah. but okay. Uh, but as far as grooming goes with the Japanese macaques, the snow monkeys, this is awesome. So the mothers pass their grooming techniques to their offspring. Okay. In research, yes. So they have their own techniques. Culture. Yes. Let's talk culture because I read a study mm-hmm. where certain macaques, they learned to wash their sweet potatoes before eating them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they pass that technique on. Correct. We talked about this back in Orca. Yes. Like culture. Animals mm-hmm. have culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, absolutely. the definition, everything. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So yeah, absolutely. And now, re- and researchers don't really know with, with the grooming technique being passed on from mother to offspring, they don't really know if it's more through social mechanisms or if it's actually like a genetic, you know, it's, how you, how you groom someone is in your, uh, in your DNA. But, but mm-hmm. yes, they definitely have culture. Uh, and there's been several instances of passing, of learning a new behavior, right? And getting some kind of reward from it. And then others learning that and undertaking it. And so, as you mentioned, washing this, I mean, nobody wants to eat a dirty sweet potato, right? Or potato. And so, one washes it and then slowly over time you see that the other ones start to do that. Mm-hmm. And, but there's also data out there of learning to peel the sweet potato with their incisor canine teeth. And there's uh, troops that have been observed playing with rocks, mm-hmm. which just completely blows primatologists mind. They're not sure why this 
is occurring, but they, they've pretty much deemed it to be recreational, like totally for fun. Right. Right. Which, right. I mean, my boys play with rocks like it's like they're going out of style. They find them. <laughs> Zachary, I always find them in, in his in his shorts, of course, after they've gone through the wash, because I'm horrible at checking pockets before I wash things. <laughs> I'm too busy for all that. So. And before we get into the hot tub behavior, because that was also a learned behavior uh, where one snow monkey got in. So the story mm-hmm. goes and shortly thereafter did the others did. But. The intelligence of Japanese macaques is just incredible. And they have been observed rolling snowballs for fun. Yeah, and, I saw that. I saw that right? with snowball fights. Like, seriously. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, fun. I mean, just the fact that playing with rocks, rolling snow, having fun, you know. I mean, they must have a good life, right, too. Cause to, to play and have fun is always a sign of yeah. a healthy, happy population. Yeah. But They've also, this is, this is super incredible and we definitely need an expert out here. Did you read about the Japanese macaques have been found to develop different accents? No, but more culture. Like this is more evidence of culture. Yes. We talked about this in orcas. This is like, yeah, these so animals maca- are amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. So macaques in areas separated by only a few hundred miles have different pitches in their calls. It's great. Uh, see, and s- uh, yeah. Okay. 30 yeah. Seconds or less. 10 seconds or less. This is why we need to learn more about these animals. This is why we need to keep fighting. If you're a listener to this podcast, please share this episode. I know we haven't said that yet. This is the stuff that I think people, this is what gets me so excited. You know, like you get excited about when I throw facts out and you're like, Oh my God, I didn't know that. This stuff that you read and research and the behavior and the culture, Animals are so much more advanced than the general public gives them credit for. Period. End of story. Right. They think they're just and dumb animals, which is wrong. These right. animals have culture, families, feelings, emotions, lineages. Yeah. Now they need they need their mamas to teach them thing, and the daddies actually have a role yeah. too in some yeah. troops. So we'll talk about that shortly. And, I, and I'm just saying it's not to to you know I forgot the the big term. We're not making them human. You know they're not human. They emphasize right. We're not trying to do that, but come on, come on, like snowball fights, washing sweet potatoes, learning grooming techniques and teaching your, your young how to do it. Right. And the grooming techniques, once again, is not just about parasite removal. It is how they get along. Like Mm -hmm. what if humans could learn from them? Ooh, I just got goosebumps and I'm going to say something that's probably ridiculous. So maybe cut it out, but no, what if the next time you like wanted to punch somebody or call them a dirty name on the internet. What if you just like went and hugged them or gave uh, them, no. you know, like a little back massage or something. And I know that'd be weird <laughs> if it was a stranger. So I'm not, I'm definitely not promoting people but, touching each other. No, but hug but, or but like my brother, for instance, yeah. let's say I just want to, uh, I'm so mad at him, which I never get yeah. mad at Bart. Cause he's amazing. You can never get yeah. mad at the kid. But mm-hmm. for the sake of my example, what if, what if that did happen with somebody that was in your troop? Right. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. holidays here. Sometimes we have holiday family members that we just like don't necessarily get along with. What if we could just, yeah, just like hug them or, and you know, it's just there's something to be said about or your spouse. You're angry at your spouse. It's like so easy to get an well, ego. I don't really, and be I've like, never had that happen. So. No, you guys are too <laughs> sweet, kidding. but I'm just, yeah. but you just go and say, just give me a hug. Just, we're, I don't know what this is about. This just time out. Give me a hug. 
I guarantee you yeah. it'll de-escalate quickly, quickly. Right, right. And so there's just, you know, when we talk about nonverbal communications versus verbal communications, mm-hmm. the macaques are very verbal and I'll get there in a second, yeah. but they have a lot of nonverbal communication and the, the mm-hmm. allo grooming is a big, big part of it. And, and it is important for their hygiene, but I think it's even more important for their bonding. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. but then once again, too, they're, they are, they can be very vocal. And so the researchers have defined about six different types of vocalization used by Japanese, Japanese macaques, including peaceful, defensive, warning, aggressive, but it all helps relay their mood. And mm-hmm. more than 50% of their vocaliz- vocalizations are peaceful or soothing in nature. I want to say that again. And I want you to all listening, including myself, are, is more than 50% of what you say peaceful or soothing in nature, trying to de-escalate things, trying to say nice things. Like my mom always taught me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. So just really interesting. Um, and, but along with the vocalizations, they also make several body gestures and facial expressions. They can flatten their ears, which boy, I wish I could do that. They mm-hmm. obviously will open their mouth or show teeth. They raise their eyebrows uh, so they can lip smack, they grimace, of course. So they're just, there's, I mean, they're so closely related to us. And that's why I wish I would have studied more primatology because it is every time we cover a primate species, any time, every time we cover almost any animal, but especially a primate species, I feel like I learn more about myself. Yeah. Yep. 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 Oh, I know one thing that I've learned about myself. <laughs> I need to go sit in a hot tub more because watching them. <laughs> That's why they're just, so peaceful, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, so I got this article the other day. They're talking about that they use these hot springs to kind of reduce stress and reduce tension. That's what these researchers are finding. Sure. I'm like, I got to learn from these things. I need to go sit in a hot tub more. Absolutely, yeah. It's a really, really fun story, and I'll we'll put some videos and links on our show notes, of course. But in a nutshell, in this area of northern Japan called Jingo Kudani, I probably said that wrong, I apologize, the snow monkeys have developed this hot spring bathing behavior. And it started, there's a few debates about it, but it most likely started back in the early 60s. But due to this behavior that was learned and established by the troop of monkeys living in this area, the Jugakundi Monkey Park was founded in 1964. And there's a few different stories that, about which monkey actually did the behavior and how did it happen? Like, was there a piece of food thrown in the, in the hot water springs or was it just a monkey exploring or watching the people? Um, so it's not, there's still a little bit of debate about, and I read actually a review article from 2018 that kind of covers the three main stories all dating back to the sixties of how this behavior was initiated. Because mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. what I can, from my understanding is it's really only in this area that this behavior is observed. It's not, and it's not found in other parts. And I don't know if that's obviously there's no other spring. I don't know if that's because there's no other hot springs or if there's, I mean, there's definitely no other parks that support it. But the source of the hot spring water is, it's natural thermal spring and it's upstream 
and it's about 40 degrees Celsius in temperature. So it's, it's got to feel good yeah, in that snowy, yeah, snowy it's mountain warm. weather. Yeah. And, but this behavior was, like I said, first seen in the early 60s because it was n- next to an inn for people. Uh, and people enjoyed these. They, the hot springs were dammed off to make little natural hot tub rock formation areas for the, the public to enjoy when they were at this hotel. And so once the troop of monkeys started exhibiting this behavior more and more often, and of course was reinforced by people also, you know, leaving them food or giving them provisions to keep the monkeys enticed and happy there. They decided, which I think is a great thing, uh, that the monkeys should have their own bath and not for hygienic purposes, not bathe with people, obviously. So, uh, but then the park was established and it just kind of did its own thing for many years. And researchers, of course, in Japan were, were starting to study some of these behaviors and learn more about the social dynamics of, of the, of the troop. But this behavior really started to get attention from people outside of Japan once the media outlets came in. And so since then, there's been a fair amount of research done. Uh, one study was completed in 2007 by a Chinese researcher named Zhang Peng. And he basically reported that he had, he looked at data from 24 years of the park, um, from 1980 to 2003. And among 114 female monkeys, 31% of them practiced the hot water springs bath. <laughs> and apparently the young monkeys really, really love it. Uh, but not as many adult males like to be in the hot, hot tub. It's, Maybe it's when you get out, it's freezing. There's well, snow I, everywhere. I, I had a lot of question about that because yeah. I've been, I lived in a snowy climate, obviously in mm-hmm. Michigan and Chicago for years. And the few times I would be in a hot tub, it's an outdoor one or something. It's mm-hmm. boy, it's, it's, it's rough. It's a rough go at it once you get out, right? You're basically going to get inside. So. Uh, but the report also said that, which makes sense, the, the hot, the hot spring bathing re- occurs, of course, more frequently in the winter and less in the summer. Mm-hmm. And that a new study out of 2018, just as you mentioned, showed that the uh, researchers believe that the hot spring bathing has a stress reduction effect in adult females, which I yep. can totally get behind that. Yep. I, yep. It's like D. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we need a full-on research uh, project to to find those results, but uh, it's always great when science backs up your your anecdotal feelings, right? Right, 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 um, right. But to no surprise, visitors to the park have increased. In about 2013, uh, there were over 150,000 visitors, and about 42,000 of them were non-Japanese, or about 28%. Mm-hmm. And now in 2017... Visitors, it's not quite doubled, but there's about 240,000 visitors to the park. And almost 100,000 of these were not Japanese, so about 40%. Mm -hmm. So really bringing in some economic value. um, And of course, you don't get in the hot tub with the monkeys, and the monkeys are very desensitized to human human presence and things like that. the park staff does provide monkey with provisions such as wheat uh, a few times a day. And the troop is made up of about 160 monkeys. 
with about 40 of them or 25% carrying out the hot tub practice. Mm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we need to get there and we need to see that. That's for sure. Um, so if you have any interest, you can check out the snow monkeys and their amazing hot tub behavior and just who, who cares about the hot tub? What about the snowball fights and the mm-hmm. washing their mm-hmm. food and just being the cutest thing since sliced pie? Uh, it's called Jukandani Monkey Park. It has its own Wikipedia page and it's pretty famous and it's located in the Yokuyu River area in the Jostinesti Kogan National Park. So I'm sure I didn't pronounce that properly, but we'll put this information <laughs> on our show notes. And yeah. if any of our listeners have been to the park, I would love pictures. Please share with us um, or any of our, like I said, any anybody that uh, lives in Japan, if you want to chime in and uh help us learn more about your wildlife, especially your snow monkeys, please let us, please let us know. Cause it's just phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what a cool, cool experience. Not like I said, not necessarily for the hot tubbing behavior, but just to watch these monkeys interact socially, uh, foraging in the wild is just super cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're amazing, amazing behaviors. And, you know, so just briefly reproduction. I mean, they, Obviously breed pretty well. You know, they're doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, Japanese macaques will typically breed between March and September. They're polyandrous. And so males and females will copulate with available individuals and they have multiple partners during a breeding season. And courtship is pretty important for reproduction in Japanese macaques. They'll spend a couple days courting their, um, future partner and, when they do form a pair bond, they will mate and feed and rest and travel together for up to two to three weeks during the breeding season. And another kind of cool behavior that tells you that they're in breeding season is the face and the genitalia of the male will redden and their tail stands erect. So their already pinkish red face becomes even more red because they're feeling the testosterone, which, and they're feeling the love, they're feeling good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's almost some, some researchers describe it as almost like scarlet in color, which is, that's right. like really, really deep red. And I thought it was a kind of a cute courtship behavior, but, but when a macaque, when uh, she is ready to mate, she'll look backwards over her shoulder, sometimes walk backwards towards the, the partner and emit a smooth coo squawk. And some researchers call it a crackle. So mm-hmm. <laughs> she gets kind of vocal, whereas the, mo- the male is, um, he's silent. He's silent and just in love. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so when they do, when they do breed, the gestation is, um, about 172 days, but there mm-hmm. has been, that's on average. It can be anywhere from 157 to 189. And a lot of that probably depends on nutrition and weather and things that you and I as reproductive researchers know that we don't know a lot about exactly what will uh, trigger uh, the birthing uh, process. Yeah. And um, even in humans, we don't necessarily know. Does the baby decide? Does the mom decide? Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty cool area of research. But they rarely have twins. And when it is time to give birth, the female will kind of isolate herself in a secluded spot from the group. Unless they're moving, then she has to keep up 
And at birth, the infant can weigh anywhere between 530 to 550 grams. So they're, they're pretty teeny weeny. Yeah. Little and of one, course, yeah. like all primates, the, um, the mother will carry the infant on her belly for the first four or five weeks. And then after that, uh, the infant will move to her, she'll backpack. It'll, she'll carry it on her back. And she's a good mama. She will carry that infant. Um, even they wean at about six to eight months, but she'll, she'll carry that infant for over a year, which it grows pretty fast. So she's a strong mama. That's for sure. She'll continue to care for the infant. And depending on, on the individual, she may even nurse for two and a half years. Um, just depending on if she's had other offspring or not. So there's a lot of parental care, of course, in all primate species. Um, infant mortality rate is pretty high. So, uh, there's about, I think it's about mortality before a year old is almost 30%. Wow. So that's that's pretty high. Um, yeah, it is, but there's a lot of alloparenting. Okay. So that's getting help from your, from other members of your troop. Typically females, um, will help in some of the care or grooming or protection of the, uh, of the infants or the juveniles, but male care of infants in some groups has been observed where the male will protect and groom and carry the infant as a female would. Okay. Good. But once again, we're talking about this culture, different troops, Mm -hmm. depending on where they live and what the resources are like and what the interaction is among the troop have different subcultures, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just really, 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 really cool stuff. And a female's Japanese macaque is not going to mature until she's about three and a half years. And for a male, it's not going to be until about almost five years. Wow. Wow. So as far as them to be at least successful in breeding. Right. Right. And again, with an average lifespan of six and a half years, you know, it's not, not long, not long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said earlier, they are least concerned and so that's good. And like you said, I found about a hundred thousand individuals, but you know, they, they are killed every year by farmers, you know, in one study in 1998, 10,000 of these monkeys were killed, which was a huge red flag. That's a 10th of the whole population. So they obviously have some issue that's there where these, these monkeys, you know, rate crops and stuff like that. But again, good news. They're, they're doing okay. There are other macaques that are in trouble. The crested macaque is critically endangered. There's less than 6,000 left. Uh, the Barbary macaque I referenced earlier, they're endangered. There's about 10,000 left. So some of these species of macaques are in trouble in, in certain regions of the world, but the Japanese macaques, these snow monkeys are doing okay, which is good. Yay. A happy holiday story. Yeah. Yeah. Now just conservation tip. This is something new, Angie. I looked up and you know, it's, it's something that's, it's a, it's a recent trend or a new trend or maybe in the last decade called fast fashion. So retailers well, are, I was going to say the word, the, the fact that it has the word fashion in it, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, so basically it's, it's retailers pushing these must have trends in social media that you have to have the latest trend in fashion. And so it's, it's turning over really quickly and these fashion is like cheap buying cheaper clothes, right? So like $10 shirts or something like that. Okay. And so it's been a marketing ploy to, to, to sell more volume. 
to increase sales. But the problem is that all these clothes take an incredible amount of, let's just say carbon to produce. You know, there's, there's a lot of resources being used. So these quick, like say here in the United States, you go to some of these stores, you buy a $10 t-shirt, you wear it for a while and you throw it away. And then you buy a new one and a new one and a new one. You keep doing that because it's cheaper than saying a hundred dollar shirt. The, the yeah, problem but if you is do the math of how often you have to buy it. That it's so it's not only to produce that shirt, it's shipping it from Asia, you know, to the United States or to Europe or wherever you're at. And so it's this thing you just have to be aware of, like buying the latest fashions and things like that. Try not to get caught up in that. It's a lot of it's just marketing to, to obviously make sales. You know, a lot of this cotton that's used today, it's, if it's not organic cotton, it's cotton that was grown with tons of pesticides. So that's a problem. You know, so some of the things you can do is, is repurpose old clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I they, love oh, the thrift store. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah bell bottoms will come back some point. <laughs> I love, I still have a pair from when they were, they were in, in the nineties. And I, know. I, I was just teasing John the other day. I said, this shirt, I love it. I got it in 90 something at a thrift mm-hmm. store in Michigan mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. And I still have it. It's what it's an, it, I, this, it's like an undershirt for wintertime. And yeah, it's, you know, it's amazing. Like I don't need another one. You only need one or two. Um, yeah. So yeah. You don't and need then to just, keep buying well, and buying. Especially and buying, too yeah. for my kids, these boys, the way they ruin clothes. I just, I mean, just go to the thrift store, right? They're not yeah. gonna, they're yeah. not, they're, it's not gonna exactly. last long. They grow out of it. They trash it anyways. So yeah. No, it's but, great. It, that's so true. Buy vintage or even clothing swaps with family members. You know, mm-hmm. if, if somebody else is having kids and say, Hey, oh, I've got absolutely. all these clothes, you know, yeah. to I can give and you. And as far as, and then certain items like sweaters or perhaps jeans mm-hmm. that you're going to have for a long time, I can, I, I do think it is better to buy the, maybe a slightly pricier version if you are going to buy it new mm-hmm. because it is going to be made well and it is going to last longer and it's going right. to use less resources as you mentioned. Yeah. I think it's just this fast fashion. That's like, it's cheap. It's a bulk, produce a ton of it. You know, it, it just is not good for the environment. It's just yeah. Not- no, well, thank you. Thanks for mentioning that. Let's hope fast fashion goes away fast or at least, yeah. at least our listeners can choose, make better choices. Right. And, and tell right. Pe- or that's a great thing to talk about this holiday season. I bet there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there that probably aren't, haven't really thought about it and Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, can, mm -mm. uh, I mean, education is key, right? Yeah. That's why we're here. Putting that little nugget out there. Just putting that little nugget out there. So great, fun species, Japanese macaques, snow monkeys. Angie's been wanting to do this for a while. People on Instagram have been begging us to do this for a while. So, so, you know, if you can join us on Instagram, follow us, All Creatures Podcast. Go to Facebook, All Creatures Podcast. Yes, you know. help us help us push us over some of our our December numbers for 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, yeah, please rate and review. We love the reviews on iTunes; those are really important mm-hmm. to help us our podcast be recirculated. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, thank you very much, and we will be back soon with another species. Thank you, everyone. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Listen. Learn. Share.